This is Catholic Daily Brief. Episode 33. What is God like? This is an intentionally provocative title. I don't have any special knowledge or experience of God that allows me to describe him in any way, but this episode is covering what are called the attributes of God. This is a a part of natural apologetics, so we're kind of jumping back into that realm, even though we've moved past it already. But we didn't cover it at that time, so I thought it might be good to cover this important area, because this is what St. Thomas Aquinas covers immediately after his arguments for the existence of God, the five ways that we talked about. We only talked about the first, the second, and the fifth way, but immediately after he proves God's existence in these ways, he moves on to describing the attributes of God. And that's because the attributes of God follow directly from the conclusions of the five ways. For example, that God is the unmoved mover, the uncaused cause, the first cause of all things, that he is perfection of being, that he is the most actual. Once you conclude these things, other things follow logically from them. That's what we call God's attributes. Another caveat, whenever we're talking about God, we always use language that is inadequate. That's just the way things are. We are finite, God is infinite. We have to use analogy. We have to use words and terms that don't exactly apply to God in the way that we understand them. Nevertheless, as said many times, we have intellects so that we can come to understand God as best we can. He is an infinite mystery. Even when we get to heaven, God willing, and see him directly, no longer merely through the darkness of faith, we still won't comprehend him because he is infinite. That means that through all eternity, we'll be knowing more and more about God. It will be always new. But even though we can't comprehend, that is, hold the whole reality of God in our minds or understand him completely, that doesn't mean we can't understand him at all. The role of the Christian is to use his mind to understand those things he can understand about God, even though it pales in comparison to God's infinity. Even talking about God's various attributes is not exactly right, because in God himself, everything is one. He is perfectly simple. Simple not in the sense that he's easy to understand, obviously that's not true, as we just said, but simple in the fact that he's not composed of parts. We already know he's not composed of physical parts because he's pure spirit, but he's not composed in any way. In the case of human beings, you can discern a real distinction between our body and our soul, for example. There's a real multiplicity in us. We have an intellect, a will, and passions. Those are distinct. There's different parts in that sense in us. Even in the sense that we have a nature, humanity, and a particular act of existence that makes me, in particular, exist here and now. The combination of my nature and my existence can even be discerned in the case of human being, in the case of animals, in the case of plants, in the case of everything that exists. Nothing that exists must exist. It needs something to bring it into existence. Therefore, its nature and its existence are separate, are distinct. But in God, all things are one. He's not a combination of body and soul, obviously. He's not a combination of his nature and his existence, because he is the cause of all things. There's nothing that brought him into being or gave him the act of existence. He is existence. He is being. And so, therefore, when we talk about God's power and his will and the mind of God, 
we just use those distinctions because that's how we can make sense of God. But in God, he doesn't have a mind that's separate from his will or his essence or his nature different from his existence or his goodness different from his mercy, different from his justice. All of those things are one in God. We just speak of them in the only way that we can speak of them, that is, as distinct realities in God, even though that's not how they actually exist in God. So let's talk about these attributes, the first of which is eternity, that God is eternal. We came to this conclusion implicitly by concluding that God is the first cause of the entire universe. By the universe, we mean all space and all time and all things contained in space and time. If God is the cause of time, then he is outside of time, and that means eternal. That is not bound by time. In God, there is no before and after. There is no succession of moments. God just is. You'll recall that he says, before Abraham was, I am. And in the Old Testament, when he talks about his name, he says, I am who am. That kind of gets at both that he is being itself and also that he is eternal. This is impossible for us to really imagine because everything that we experience, we experience in time. But the way that it has been explained, the closest we can get to understanding what this means is that God lives in an eternal present. That while we exist in history and all things exist in history and in time, God sees them all as present to him at once. Think of someone looking at a long film reel in front of them. In a sense, you see the beginning and the end all at once because you can see all of the moments arrayed together in front of you. Now, this doesn't perfectly capture what eternity is like because, as I already said, we can't imagine what that's like. But that can give you some idea of how God views history, how he is outside of time and is not bound by it and doesn't experience it. What follows from this, that God is eternal, he doesn't experience time, it's because he doesn't experience change. That's another one of his attributes, is he's immutable. The only way you have time is if you have motion and change. Well, God has neither of those things. And the problem here is that when we say unchangeable, that might have a negative connotation in us. Like someone is stubborn, for example, or they're just static, unmoving. But that's not what that means in the case of God. This just shows the poverty of our language when trying to describe God. Immutable means that he doesn't change because change is the movement of something from not being something to being something, or just having a potential and then fulfilling that potential. And God is perfection. He doesn't change from good to better. He has all of the perfections in himself. He is the perfection of being. So for him to change would mean both that he has some cause that causes him to change, which is absurd because he is the first cause, or that he has some potential that he hasn't yet perfected, which would mean that he is not the perfection of being. The conclusion of both of those things would be that he's not actually God, that he's not the first cause, that he's not the first mover. If God changes or moves or fulfills some potential, it means that there's some cause outside of him causing him to do that, and therefore he's not God. So because God is the first cause and the perfection of being, it follows necessarily that he is eternal and that he is unchangeable. These are not just things we're claiming about God. They follow necessarily from the proofs of his existence, which were demonstrated before this. Another attribute of God is that he is omnipresent, that he is present everywhere. And there's a couple different senses in which we can understand this attribute. First, he is everywhere in the universe by his essence, by his nature. 
because God, as the cause of all things, literally the cause of the existence of every single thing, the cause of everything continuing in existence, God is present wherever there is something. Wherever there is part of creation, God is there sustaining it. So we don't just mean God is everywhere in some metaphorical sense, but in a real sense. You'll remember when we talked about angels, angels are present where they are acting, right? They're not bodies, they are pure spirit. So they're not present in a place in the way that a body occupies a place. An angel or a spiritual being is present where it is acting. For an angel, that's limited to a particular place in time and a particular place geographically, wherever they're acting. But for God, it's not limited in any way. God is present to every single part of his creation because he sustains every single thing from the tiniest molecule to the largest planet or star. He holds them all in existence. Another way that he's present everywhere is that he knows all things, that nothing is hidden from his knowledge. There's no place in the universe one can go that is hidden from God's knowledge. So he is present everywhere in that sense. All things are laid bare before him. And that leads into another attribute, which is omniscience, that God knows all things. Obviously, there is nothing that God doesn't know because he is truth itself. Christ said that, of course, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. God created all things, and so he knows them. They are, if you will, the product of the divine mind, that things exist because God knows them. It's not as if God was presented with this creation and then he studied it and knows it. Creation is the product of God's knowledge. All things were present in the divine mind from all eternity, so he knows all things. And not just knowing all things, but also being all-wise. That is, he orders all things. That he disposes all things to accomplish his divine will. It's not that just he knows things and has a bunch of knowledge, but he orders all things. So that's his omniscience and his wisdom. Another attribute is his omnipotence, or the fact that God is almighty. He can accomplish whatever he wishes, whatever he wills. And here you often have people that think they're being very clever by saying something like, can God create a rock so heavy that he can't lift it? A fire so hot that he can't touch it? And the answer is no. And it's not because God lacks the ability, but because those things are nonsensical. They are logically impossible. It's like saying, can you create a square circle? That's just a nonsensical jumble of words. They don't actually mean anything. There is no such thing and can be no such thing as a square circle because those are contradictory things. Still, this is an argument that's used by a lot of people to say stuff like that. Well, if God's all-powerful, why can't he create a married bachelor? Well, a married bachelor is a contradiction in terms. It's a nonsense. It's a nothing. It's like saying if God is almighty, then why can't he sin? Because sin is a nothing. It's a, it's a lack of being. So it really is no detriment to God's omnipotence that he can't do things that are nothing or things that are contradictory, things that can never be because they mean nothing. Regarding God's goodness and holiness, those follow from the fact that he is perfection of being, that evil is what lacks a particular perfection. Evil is something that is a lack of being. So goodness and holiness necessarily belong to God because he is being itself, because he is goodness itself, because he is the perfection of being. So evil and sin cannot exist in God. If God is the source of all being and being itself, then the closer we are to God, that is, the more holy we are, the more we follow God's will, the more actual we are, that is, the more being we have, the more real we are. So that gives you an idea of what heaven is like. Heaven is more real 
than this world. We tend to think about heaven as some ephemeral, cloudy place with transparent spirits floating around, but it's it's not the case at all. Going from this life to the life to come in heaven is moving from a shadow to a reality because the closer we are to God, the more real we are, the closer we are to the source of all reality, all being. There are other of God's attributes that we can see in scripture. For example, that he is kind and merciful and patient and true and faithful. All of those things we hear in God's self-revelation in scripture. But all the other things are necessarily true from the proofs of God's existence. So what can we take from all of this? Is it just some dry academic pursuit? Is it overly intellectual? Does it have any real worth in the life of a Christian? Well, yeah. As I just said, knowing that God is the source of all being, that he is the source of all reality, makes us understand that we are more in touch with reality the closer we get to God. Knowing his omnipresence gives us comfort and consolation because there is no situation we can find ourselves in where God is not present. And his omnipotence gives us greater trust in his providence, that we, if we follow his will, then all things are possible to us. Knowing that God is eternal and the source of all being helps us detach ourselves from the things of this world that pass away quickly, things that perish, and impels us to cling to what is the one enduring good, which is God. Of course, his goodness and his mercy and his holiness and his patience ought to help kindle our affection for God, our love for God, because he is infinitely lovable. He is the only infinitely lovable and good thing that we can pursue. So far from being just an academic or intellectual exercise, each of these attributes merits its own meditation. Taking these attributes to prayer and really reflecting on what they mean and how each of them can help us increase in our trust in God and cling more closely to God and trust in his providence, abandon our own wills, taking comfort in his omniscience and his wisdom and his goodness, knowing that he is the only eternal good that we could ever possess. Thank you for listening to Catholic Daily Brief. Please share this podcast with your friends to help spread the word. Also consider becoming a member at patreon.com slash catholicdailybrief. God bless.